0: Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free
1: lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. So today's episode, ladies, you're in for a real treat. We have Alicia Jarrett on our show. She lives in Australia and invests in the United States and actually has five businesses (laughs) all in the United States. And she got her start uh, with taking a course, and now she has really grown her investing from so many different niches. What we get into today that she's done really successfully in the United States is really transitioning from fix and flips to land investing. And that's a really interesting niche that a lot of people don't talk about enough. But she gives some great nuggets and some great food for thought uh, that you can apply if that's something that uh, is a niche that you want to jump into as well.
2: Yeah, I like that she breaks it down because when we don't know much about land, it, it becomes this big deal, right? And then it becomes high risk. So I like that she she breaks it down and she compares how she evaluates land the same way that she evaluates houses. Basically, she's in the business of resolving people's problems. And many times, as she mentioned, people don't even know they have those problems. So it's a great episode for you if you're thinking about doing land development, this is the episode for you. Before we get into Alicia's story, let's hear a word from our sponsors.
1: Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Invest Her Show, where we are committed to empowering women to live a financially free and balanced life. We do that week in and week out, and we are so excited to have Alicia Jarrett on our show today. Thank you so much for joining us. Excited to jump into your story, and we're going to get into land investing and some really cool uh, strategies that you're going to
0: share with us all. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Liz and Andresa. I'm absolutely uh, so excited to be here. Uh, funnily enough, I'm, I am i didn't say this to you both up front, but uh, I've been on many, many podcasts over the last few years and on my goal, it was actually on a post-it note up here, was to get onto to your podcast and here I am. Uh, there,
2: there we go. <laughs> wrapping
0: up for 22 with a bag. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh, that's
1: great. Um, so we always like to get connected to all of you listening. Thank you so much for being on this journey with us. And we'd like to share a very quick tip before we get into Alicia's story here in a moment. So I'm on the docket here, Andressa. I, I, yeah. I'm uh, going to share um, a quick story. I I want to bring everyone back to InvestorCon 2022 for a moment because during the conference, and, and that was our first, um, and we have our, our next one coming up in May 18 and 19, very excited about that. It, Scottsdale, but we um, during our kind of intro, on and I introduced the women there hmm. to us. They all, we also introduced them to our brain, and you're all like listening. You're like, "What, what are you talking him? about? What, what What are you talking about?" So, really quick, is that you know the brain, and and just explains this beautifully, but I want to explain it in my Liz 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 version. Is that the, the brain is is a, is, a, is a voice? It's a voice inside you, and I think it's a way of being that doesn't always serve us. And it's sometimes like a knee-jerk, kind of like our, our ego, in a sense, versus our essence. That's how I like to think of it. Because like Liz' essence is like this abundant woman. My ego, which my name is Burke, my name is Debbie, is my ego, is something that comes up sometimes. Um, and so for me, I wanted to share a really quick story. Because I was um, we were in the car bringing my, my son to his, his birthday party. And my husband um, has this new opportunity on the hook. And it's a really enormous project. And, you know, he's. I'm asking him questions and he's sharing some things with me. And I'm like, I said, I asked questions or I said something. And at the end of the discussion, because it was 30 minutes, we had a long time to talk about it. Matt goes, why is Debbie here? I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, your brain has been super negative the entire car ride. I'm like, what are you talking about? I've just been asking you questions. He's like, no, you're laughing. You're like, I've been mean, like, oh, this is going to be a really big raise. And then you're like, can your team handle that? It was like, wah, wah. Like, every time (laughs) I said something, you're like, uh, that seems like, and then I'm like, my new team member, you know, he's really great. I'm like, but he hasn't had a deal with a raise yet. And he's like, all I heard was wah, wah. Like, every time I said something, it was very negative, you know? And sometimes for me, Debbie Downer, it's like Debbie Downer from Saturday Night Live. But I'm not a negative person, but when I go to like kind of like, I don't know, an ego way or when I did, I'm not coming from my essence, sometimes I get a little like womp womp. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that. And it was really he was really playful about it versus being mean. I'm like that I, and my son's like, yeah, yeah, we're a little negative, mom. You know, so my nine year old reiterated that Debbie was around. So I kept myself in check and I said to him, thank you for letting me know that I wasn't trying to do that. He's like, yeah, just, you know, I want to hear your positivity and like you can do this <laughs> versus like wow, wow, you know. So um why I'm sharing this is that you know you know the key here is that to know what your brain you know what that 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 sometimes that negative voice comes up and to share that with the people around you that you spend the most time with because Undressa will call me out. My husband calls me out. My son now is calling me out and that's so helpful because I wasn't sh- I wasn't even I knew it felt a little negative to be honest uh-huh. but I didn't know why and it really wasn't working for him. So I just say that, you know, know these things about yourself, but also share them with the people closest to you.
2: Yeah, and I think he helps us to That's separate that. and not take it personally, right? So if Liz, uh, my brain's name is Rhonda, so if Liz says, oh my gosh, Rhonda was really rough with that comment, or or if I say, hey, Dabby needs to calm down, or Dabby needs to take a break and go to sleep, or or that type of thing, I'm talking about Debbie. I'm not talking about Liz. So it's, it, 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 the people don't take it personal. My son has a brain's name. And, and sometimes when think his his brain name is Carlos, I have no idea where he got that from, but that's okay. The brain's, the brain chooses the name. So another day he will say, Carlos, he's having like thoughts that he wants to play on the tablet a lot. I was like, well, tell Carlos. That we're not playing on the freaking tablet all day long that we have <laughs> other things to do. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but he's insisting. I was like, I got it. <laughs> I, I'm not
0: doing that. To you, Andre, that, that he, he's using that well. <laughs>
2: he is using that well. And 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 again, as Liz mentioned, um, May 19th, Scottsdale, Arizona, we are having the entire resort for ourselves. Absolutely, Dabby and Rhonda are going to come. We cannot be said, held over. we're not stay home. And you're going to bring your brains. And we're going to talk about it a little, little bit more as new folks come along. um, Because it, have, it, it has been, have, been super helpful for us to really determine when that is playing, what it's not. And that's what we all stand for in our conference. Real estate strategies, business, and self-care. And self-care is all about really self-development and really understand what we are up to. So... If you have not secured your ticket and your your spot at the pool, please <laughs> do. Click the link below. you be going to have all the information there for you. Yes. Yes.
1: So Alicia, thank you so much again for being on our show. And we'd like to kick it off with this question. What lesson has taken
0: you the longest to learn? Oh, that's a big question. If I can first of all start off by just saying thank you so much for sharing that little story right there, because that resonates with me so much. Um, And I often think back in in my journey in business so far, and for those that can tell, yes, I'm an Aussie, so this is the the Aussie accent to the table. (laughs) Um, I don't have a name for my brain yet, and I'm starting to think I'm going to get one, but I call mine the mini-me. And that little mini-me is like a little person on my shoulder that's going, you know, they've got this voice, right? And I often find that the mini-me comes out, and this is probably going to lead nicely into my lesson, when I'm in fear, when I'm in a place of being unsure of myself, when I'm in a place of is that going to be really difficult or challenging. Now, here's here's the the oxymoron here, right? I'm always up for a challenge and I'm always up for taking things on and learning new things, but every now and then it tips outside the comfort zone or stretches that comfort zone maybe a little bit too far, even if it's things like financial stuff that you go oh that's stretching me a little bit too far (laughs) and the mini me kicks in um and and now when I reflect on that because I've gotten a a really good place with my business partner as well that we often will call each other out on hey I don't know if you realize but you're kind of bringing the temperature down a little (laughs) and that that's the language that we use right and I think you've got to find your right language around it but probably the biggest lesson and and your question was the the biggest thing that I've had to learn so far is that what it was the, the lesson that's taking the longest. The lesson that's taking the longest. Yeah, the lesson that's taking the longest for me is stretching my boundaries, um, because just when I think I've I've reached that next goal or gotten to a certain stage or or you know finished off a project or things like that, I want to sit back and have that little bit of oh, okay, I can stop now, and that feels good. And yet I'm working with a business partner who's like, no, we're not stopping. We're moving to the next thing. We're moving to the next thing. We're going bigger. We're going better. And sometimes that really takes me out of my comfort zone. And the lesson that I I need to keep learning is that sitting still doesn't equal progress. Sure, you can sit still by the pool and have a cocktail every now and then when you're on vacation, but sitting still in your brain or sitting still in your strategy or sitting still in your growth doesn't actually enable you to get to what to what you really, really want. And I've got, again, just looking at my my um thing here, I've got some some big goals on some post-it notes here in front of me. If I was to stay in my comfort zone, I'm never going to reach them. So the the consistent thing that I'm always having to learn and relearn is how to stretch myself and how to embrace the uncomfortableness of being an entrepreneur, um, of being a real estate investor, of doing some of the crazy stuff from the other side of the world and keep pushing forward, even when it feels challenging and feels hard. And I'll just stick on that word hard for a second, because I always say that hard is not a fact, it's a feeling. I'll say that again, hard is not a fact, it's a feeling. What might be hard to you, Liz, is totally not hard to me, because I've done it before, I've got the experience, I've got, got the the lived experience around it, versus something that Andresa says to me, is like, oh, that's really hard, because I haven't done that before. So, when, when we say, oh, that's really hard, it's often coming from a place of uncomfortableness, fear, overwhelm, et cetera. It, it's not that it's hard at all. We just haven't done it yet.
2: I love that. And I wanna mention something, right? Liz and I, when we started our podcast in 2018, we, were, we, we did a quick exercise and we we're very intentional about the reason why we are doing a podcast. Because believe me, people, in and out. We are over 300 episodes and we didn't miss a bit. So the commitment is there. No, You know, it doesn't matter what's happening. The podcast is going out the same day at the same time. And one of the reasons why we started the podcast is that we want to inspire women, right? Give a, a, a chance to women share their story. But we also want to get inspired by other women that we are interviewing in. And we're just getting started here, but I cannot go further without mentioning um, about Alicia's way of being. She's in Aussie, is Australia, it's three freaking (laughs) a.m. And she's bringing her energy into this full of gratitude and and really, you know, Alicia, I I just needed to say this because I come across people that don't have that grit, and that does not inspire me. So out of the bad <laughs> here, I'm like, I am now excited about this episode because this woman woke up as if it is 11 a.m. for her comfort zones, right? Like comfort zones. Absolutely. <laughs> so I appreciate you taking the time. And 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 being here w- with with us and sharing your your knowledge, uh, my absolute we don't pleasure. Without goals,
0: without me acknowledging you, andresa thank you so much. It's my absolute pleasure. I'm I'm here to serve, and I'm here to as like you said, the reason why I do podcasts as well. You you're my I think you're about my fiftieth podcast so far this year, and the amount of networks and people and stories and sharing and collaboration and. I just have this inner belief that we we do so much better when we link arms with others, um, and we can do that from anywhere in the world, right? So, and any time in the world, exactly. So, yeah, let's let's bring it, ladies. Let's go. Let's do it. So, you are in Australia, but all
2: your investments are in the U.S., right? And I want you guys to. I know that you 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 pivot from flipping to mm-hmm. land, and that's something that we want to dig into it. But in a in a quick summary, how did you choose first of all the US? Why is the preference to invest in the US and not Australia? And how did your journey start?
0: Yeah, fantastic question. Um, I I could do an entire episode just on that, but I'll give you the high level summary. There's um now, now here's the thing. I was a real estate and I still am a real estate investor here in Australia. I have uh, a few rental properties and um and I, I've bought and sold properties over the years here but the cost of entry to the market in Australia is huge and I'm talking I live in Melbourne Australia that's down south it's a city of four and a half million people it's a fabulous place if you haven't been come on over ladies but um, the average I'm talking the average not not the upper end but the average house here is just on a million dollars vacant land is something that's non-existent you have to go way out into the the country almost to find vacant land and, and new development um and uh the the cost of doing business here is huge contractors resources things like that it, it, it's almost like it's and i'm not kidding when i say this it, it's like you know five six times the price of what we were paying in the us wow. the secondary thing is access to information and data and the way of doing business so here in Australia, it's still very traditional to go through a real estate agent, have all your transactions handled by someone else. Doing off-market deal is not culturally a way of doing business over here. And the main reason for that is data, access to information. In Australia, the privacy laws for us to be able to find out what properties Liz owns, where she got her mortgage through, is she on time with her payment, yeah. um, what What's the condition of her property? Where did she buy it from? The tax information, any improvements that she's made, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The list could go on. You don't have access to any of that information over here. In the US, when we were doing our research and starting to look across the world at different, different markets and where we could start to to build, the US just kept ticking the boxes on, wow, we can find out all of this information and we can market to them direct. And that's legal <laughs> and it's accepted. Um, So, it was really just a case of how to do business and what we can do business in that kept leading us back to the US. And for anybody listening that complains about doing business in the US and thinks that it's difficult, I'm here to tell you that the polarity in other countries is vastly different. So, the US just, um, it's an easy place to do business and find out information. And, you know, our first property, our first ever house that we did, we paid, uh, this is going back like seven years when you could still get a pretty decent off market for a fix and flip. We paid like $17,000 for this mm. little old rundown house in a pretty average area. We put about $20,000 into it and sold it for just under a hundred and, uh, and that, that was pretty easy. Contractors, resources, it was all very easy. So cool. over here... You couldn't even wow. buy a garage for that. <laughs> wow! Look, can we break that down
2: for for a second? How did you did you did you have a, a team over here? How did you manage things? From-
0: yeah, we we did we did. So, um, even though I'm over here in Australia at the moment, we have spent a lot of time in the US building up our business, our networks, things like that. So when we first started, uh, like anybody, we went and did a course on how to do real estate investing in the U.S. just so we could find out the basics. And I remember at that course, one of the things they said to us is, you know, relationships is everything, which I wholeheartedly agree. So your task for this morning, this is like day two on the course, start to uh, jump on your phone, find out some real estate agents, get on the phone and make make some introductions, make yourself known. So we did. We were on the phone with... with uh, well, when I say we were on the phone, obviously we were calling and it was an international number, so no one picked up. So we left a few messages. Within about the space of 10 minutes though, one realtor in particular called us back. And and our message, you know, again, fear, feel the fear and do it anyway, right? I had no idea what I was about to say to this person on the phone. <laughs> I was day two in a course on how to do business <laughs> in the US. And uh, and it was like, hi, my name's Alicia. I'm here with my business partner, Matt. Um, We're thinking of doing some investments in the US and we're after an investor-friendly realtor. If if that's you, give us a call back. No one called except for this one person and his name's Michael Cassidy. I'm doing a shout out for him because he's (laughs) an absolute gem and he's still on our team today. Wow! So he called me back and he's like, cool, you're from Australia. What's up? So we had a conversation and we said, look, we do have the money to invest. We want to do some houses. We're open to different ideas, but more than anything, we want to build a relationship with someone that can be our eyes and ears on the ground. He's like, I'm up for it. Let's do it. He's become not only a close personal friend, but he's pivotal to our business still six years later. Um, so we actually flew over to to the US. He's in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, we hired him for a day and uh, we just jumped in the car and I said, right, we've got you for a whole day. We paid him for it. And I said, drive us around, show us the lay of the land. We picked Jacksonville, Florida for some very specific reasons that the data was telling us that that, that was a good city to go into, still is. Um, and he drove us around to all these different areas and showed us like, here's what you're going to get for your money here. Here's what the ARV is. Lizzie, put your finger up. if you got a question?
1: Uh, you know, I, I I didn't want to interrupt you, um, but finish your thought. Yeah, yeah. I know, I, I, I just want to wanna make a quick point about you have just said that you paid him for his time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's very interesting. And why why I want to make a point of that is that so often, as investors, we, um, we utilize... One, sometimes as women we feel bad asking for that day with that person. But we also don't value it for them or say, Hey, mm-hmm. this is what I can do for you. Because this is their time, you know, and, and what have you. And so some people might say, Why would you pay them when they're going to get paid on a commission? but they don't know you yet and you are building a relationship. So i was mm-hmm. very astute of you to do that. And I I also think that was like, you're building the relationship by uh, right off the bat saying, listen, I value your time and I'm going to pay for it. I value again. you 100%. So I, I think that's just something we need to be mindful of. A lot of um, women will call a contractor, oh, walk this property with me or a friend or an inspector. You know, this is people's time. And so yeah. folks that are getting paid on the back end you know think about that how can you get creative and sometimes it takes love you, that he's going to take it he probably took
0: you guys very seriously wow these people are paying me no one else pays me yeah so, exactly and and he was very much like no 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 and i was like yes 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 because he's he's the the energy of that reciprocity reciprocity what goes around comes around and, and when we can start to reciprocate and respect other people's time energy knowledge etc no, you know, he's, he'd been a realtor for 20 odd years. There's a lot of expertise, value. Um, the, the amount of information that he gave us on that day, just driving us around, paying for fuel, all of that, giving us a lay of the land, set our business up for not only our strategy and what we were going to do from there, but also, you know, the people and the places and the different things we were putting into tra- traction. So you can't undervalue that. I completely agree. And on the flip side, Liz, I'll, I'll just, this, you know, I, I've been on uh, a lot of podcasts now. I, I've i done some of the speaking circuit. I've, I've got a really great network. Surprised at the amount of people that just want to use my time mm. and not give anything back. Now, I will never say no, but I'm constantly surprised by the the take attitude that a lot of people have versus the give attitude. Mm. And I think what what type of world would we be living in if just a small portion of us just had more of the give attitude than take? Because it's amazing that when we give, how much actually naturally comes back, right?
2: 100%. uh, Other day, we have a very large uh, Facebook community and um, it's all about give and take. Give and and take. And uh, one of the members that just came on board a couple of months ago started with this attitude uh, of just taking it, right? Of self-service, self-service. And I was like, wait a minute. If I don't see that you are also contributing to other women, sharing resources and sharing your thoughts, your recommendations, you are just mm-hmm. dating it. So that's not a good fit. Yeah. You no. Know? And when you say, well, if you do this, then I'm going to get out. Feel free. Yeah. Exactly. you free. We're not a good fit. Go find your tribe. That's totally fine. And I say this with, with, with kindness. Mm. That's fine. We are not a good fit, but I, I feel what you're saying, Lisa, Alicia, because the more that we, we grow and we share more people want to pick our brains. Right. And I always say, yeah. say that to somebody that is a trigger. So instead ask the person more interesting conversation will be okay. What are you working on? So you can see how you can help them. Cause that person will be inclined to help you. If you correct. do that hundred percent. Yeah. Talk correct. about the, reciprocity. The, exactly. Right. And then why did you make the, the, the decision to switch or pivot or diversify from mm-hmm. flipping to land?
0: Yeah. Yeah. The the million dollar question. Um, don't get me wrong. I love flipping houses. It is so much fun because uh, well, we did some of them remotely because Liz, to come back to your question earlier, after that, that first trip, we put a contractor team in place. We had a project manager. Michael was helping us out. So we could then do everything remotely, which was wonderful. Um, but often we would fly back over for some of our deals and get involved in demo day and just have fun with it. Right. But our last deal we strayed from our strategy. So we had a very clear strategy on, this is what we want to spend on a, 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 a an existing property. This is what we want our after repair value to be. This is how much we're willing to put in. And, and we had our numbers and we had our strategy. One part of our strategy was also that we were very passionate. I mean, this is going back seven years ago now, um, where banks were still not helping people out. You had lots of individuals that people had just walked away from houses and we wanted to get the communities back into loving their homes again and getting people back into homes. So our main target was more lower end housing, but it was done with passion and with heart. The last property we did, we strayed from our strategy. We went for a property that cost us about $280,000 to buy. The ARV, the after repair value for it was going to be estimated at about four fifty. dollars Um, and it was a beautiful home that meant that it was going to be a bigger project it was going to cost us a lot more Um, and that was also at the time when almost everybody wanted to do a fix and flip I'm not going to blame Chip and Joanna Gaines here but uh, (laughs) but let's just give them a little bit of credit here and all the others like them everyone was watching HDTV and wanted to get into fixing and flipping homes and uh, and our last one we strayed because we got a little bit of sparkle in our eyes. We saw this house and we're like, "Oh, we would live in that one. That's great. And it was the deal that killed us. So this deal itself, um, I now look at this deal as a blessing because here's why. We could have done that deal. It took us, uh, we could have done that deal and kept going into other deals. But by the end of the deal, we were emotionally spent, financially exhausted because we we broke even after 12 months. And when I say 12 months, this should have been a three-month turnaround. Mm -hmm. We had thefts on site, contractors leave, um, uh, major problems being uncovered in the property. What should have been a pretty easy fix and flip turned into 12 months and nothing to show for it at the end of the day. That was challenging. When I say nothing, I mean, yeah, we, we broke even, and I think we made a couple of thousand dollars, but it was like, Ouch, that hurt. (laughs) So those things, a lot of people would look at those times and go, okay, well, keep going. We were like, "Mm -mm. time out. Let's just self-check. What's our strategy? Is this still what we want to do? Is it something else? Is this a lesson? Is this a beautiful lesson in here that tells us that maybe doing houses from the other side of the world is a little bit more stressful than what we thought? So we started to look at different asset classes. Um, did some research and thought, what's another asset class that we could do that would still suit the the goal that we had in business, but maybe wasn't as reliant on contractors or other people or resources and things like that. And we came across vacant land. Now, a lot of people listening might be going, vacant land? That's not very sexy. No, it's not. You drive past it. It's a blank piece of dirt. And most people don't even give it a second thought. Um, but here we are five years in doing vacant land and have not looked back. As an asset class, it's easier to do. There's less competition in in the, the off-market deal. Although I'll say that now there's a lot of people getting into vacant land. <laughs> um, it's There's a lot of different strategies you can do with it that, that a lot of people wouldn't think about. and um, And we're loving it. I've now got a, a full-time customer service team of three people. They run my land business. We've got four businesses in the U.S. now, so we've, uh, we're really kind of taking over the world when it comes to our, our U.S.-Australia um, alliance. <laughs> but, uh, but the land business is going strong, and, and I think it was the best decision from a bad situation that we made. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check planning for what's next and how to save for it. That's where bank of America can help for your financial to do's bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 seven in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bank slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Can
1: we break down what that looks like. So, so you know, let's let's just get one when, when are your first land deals. So in that sense, you're flipping land like you'd be flipping a property. Is that is that Correct. fair to say? Okay. Yep. So it's yep. still like a, a beginning, middle and end type of project, right? It's not like a long term hold. Okay. So walk us through the first the first kind of project that you did, how you found the land, how you evaluated the land, um, because I, I think it, it's that's a big conversation, especially for even just doing new construction. People are looking at creative ways to do deals now. How do you evaluate yeah. the land? And if you're flipping it, you know, how do you um, make sure you're you're adding adding uh, adding the value or not really adding any value, but just making a profit? So yeah, how could, yeah. How then you jumped into a new niche? How you set yourself up for success? What are those key learnings early on? Uh, yep, that'd be great.
0: Yep, jumping into that niche, we made it very data driven. So data always tells a story. So we were doing a lot of research on things like, you know, buyer and seller activity, the types of um, pieces of land that were being transacted. <clears throat> excuse me, in the areas that we wanted to do, who was buying? Was it builders and developers? Was it, you know, people that were just doing cash purchases? So really getting an understanding of of the areas that we wanted to go into and um, making sure that that area wasn't over saturated. So you need to have kind of the right level of buyer and seller activity to then go in then when it comes to the deal itself i'm going to be very surprising here not that much different to what you do when it's a house you're looking at what's the the current as is value of the land and just like you would with a house when you're looking at rehabbing and you say oh okay it needs a new bathroom needs a a new roof needs new hvac etc same with a piece of vacant land it needs clearing um it needs leveling There's probates that need to be done. Uh, There's title issues or encroachment on the neighbour that we need to fix. So, land still has its own set of problems that need to be cleared up or cleaned up, particularly if there's trash on the property or stuff like that, before you can then go and get your after repair value, just like you would with the house, right? It's just different things. So, we look at the land on it as is, um, based upon its current zoning attributes, what can be done with it as, as it is at the moment. Then we look at, okay, well, if we would have fixed these things or rezone it or look at the land through a different lens, what could we end up doing with it? Um, Similarly to when you get off-market properties for houses, same principle with vacant land. We're going and approaching landowners. Typically, our landowners are um, people that have been sitting on the vacant land for five or 10 years or more, and it's got zero improvement on it. So they're just sitting on it. Nothing's happened. It might have changed title with a probate. So it's been passed down in intergenerational land in the family. Often, excuse me, often intergenerational land has its own set of problems in things like breaking chain of title um, over many years, et cetera. Maybe it's sitting in a trust and the trust has done nothing with it. Um, A lot of the times that might have been bequeathed to a church. People that, that have vacant land and their family doesn't want it. So when they pass on, they leave it to a church. Church is like great. Now I've got to pay taxes on it. We're not going to build on it. So, you know, there's lots of different people and groups out there that are that are owning vacant land that don't want it, have no use for it, or maybe they did have a use for it to build their dream home, but now due to divorce or death or something like that, plans have changed. So, especially if it's if it's vacant land that has problems a lot of realtors won't want to deal with it. They won't list it if it's got problems because if you get to the closing table and that title is not clear and they can't close, it's a waste of their time. So there there is this middle ground, this this middle group of people of vacant landowners that realtors won't help them. They don't want to deal with the problems themselves. So a land investor's job is to come in, get that land for as long as we can, right? Because we want to make money as well, let's be real but get, get the land and take it off their hands for a fair price. A fair price being, I'll get the get rid of the problem for you if you give me the land at this price and I will go and fix all of these issues. I'll work with the title attorney, the probate people, the title company, I'll negotiate with the neighbor on the easement, I'll do all of these things and then the land's now mine, I'll you just walk away, I'll take it on, I'll do all these things because there's a lot of cost and time involved in that and then I'll find an end user for the property. Now to come back to your, you said something earlier, Liz, about a lot of the time it is just flipping. It is, but we also do buy and hold. We do seller financing. Um, we're doing what's called forced appreciation where we're taking bigger properties and subdividing and doing that initial plat map and getting rid of those. So there's quite a few strategies that we do. Our biggest deal to date was a buy and hold and that's the one that we made the most profit on. So, you know, different strategies for different properties.
2: I have so many questions.
1: No doubt, (laughs) we seriously could take it in like
2: fifteen directions, right? I have so many questions because it's not just like you—you—you get the land, you don't do anything with it, and pass along. So you're adding a lot of value uh, through your your experience and knowledge and resolving the problems. You are resolving a problem from Mm -hmm. uh, the seller perspective, the land by itself, and also the end buyer that don't want to deal with that. A developer,
0: you know. Come on, bring me show already and then I'll Yeah. How the about to buy a property that's got, you know, no, no, the title's not clear and it's got liens on it? No buyer's right. gonna go, yeah. I'll exactly. buy
2: that. <laughs> so those are all problems that can be resolvable if that's a word, right? But talk to me about the red flags. Why would you say no to a uh uh a land? What are yep. the red flags they say, yeah, this here it's a no no? Uh, you yeah. or what What are the your criteria that will disqualify a land for you uh, to purchase?
0: Yeah, really, really, really great question. Often there's not a huge amount of them. And here's why. I am not the end user of the land. So I am not my buyer. And I think a lot of people will look at a property and go, well, oh, I'd never use that or I'd never live there or I'd never build there. But it's not me. It's the end buyer that gets to choose that. So my first approach with my team is we always start from a place of yes. Yes, let's look at that that that, prop- that property. Yes, let's look at that problem. Yes, 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 yes. Until we get the the dead set no. Now the no might come in two forms and this is where the red flags come up. The first no might be an internal no for our team where we've done a lot of the due diligence and the, for example, in our due diligence, we'll go to the county and say, right, if somebody wants to build on this property, What's our setbacks? What's our restrictions? What can we do? What can't we do? And often when there's landlocked properties, a lot of counties will say it's not buildable unless you've got legal access. So then we'll go to the neighbours and the people adjoining the property and talk Mm -hmm. about easements and things like that. Now, the, the only time that we've never really been able to do a deal is when there's absolutely no way to get into that property and Due to the topography of, of the property, so the the slope on it, the wetland, mm-hmm. things like that, there's absolutely no way that it's going to be buildable. However, in those cases, we've often sold that land to people as recreational land. I've sold land mm-hmm. that's been sloped that no one wants to build on, but I've sold it to someone who had enough money and a collection of mountain bikes that he just wanted to build his own personal mountain bike track. I've had wetlands that I thought no one would ever want to deal with. And I sold it to the neighbor of the property who wanted to increase their property size and uh, and take their, their airboat out on weekends on this acreage and, and have some fun. So again, we are not our end buyer. So sometimes it's about, there might be red flags that would tell me that that's impossible. But if I'm transparent with my market and I say, look, this property is not buildable. It has a slope. Um, it's got these problems with it, but the title is clear, everything else is good, legally we can close. Just because it has those things on it doesn't mean that it's not going to be attractive to someone. So the final red flag is then the market telling me that they don't want it. And if that's the case, um, because oftentimes if the properties are really fantastic, we will buy them. If the properties are not fantastic, I will say to my seller, look, I'm going to take it under contract. I'm going to fix all these problems and do all of the due diligence for you because they don't know where to start with a lot of this stuff. Um, I'm then going to put it out to the market and see what what the market tells us. And in that process, Mr. or Mrs. Seller, I'm going to keep in touch with you. Now, if the market tells us that they simply cannot see any possibility of using this land, then we may just need to cancel our contract and you keep it. I'll give you all the information we found out. I'll give you the survey. I'll give you everything, but sometimes it's not a deal. That's only happened I can probably count on both hands. Like we've done a lot of deals. I can probably count in total how many times that's happened. It's rare.
1: So that's a really that's really fascinating in that your your risk level so is really low in a sense. Like literally, if you get, low. get I mean, if you get and and often if we're buying, I mean, if you're buying a property you wouldn't take that same approach because you don't have it you don't have it out, right? You're out is having to sell that property and you have yep. to know if there's enough buyers for that property, right? There's a market for that. Um so often in real estate that's that's where you have to do so much upfront and due diligence before you even go close. So what you're saying is is very interesting because it's really allows for allows for multiple exits. And then at the end right. of the day, like you're saying, you really can't make it work. Um, you can get out. Like that's that's, that's a pretty, that's a nice hedge against, yeah you know, of uh, 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 the risk of what most investors are going through, right? We need to have our A, our B, our C conservatively underwrite. Like, you're going to go through that if you are the one that's closing and there's no out, if you will. Correct. But what you're saying Correct. is, so I think that's, I think that's very, very interesting, especially in today's economy. <laughs> mm. You know? It is fine.
2: Uh, <laughs> I wanted to pick back on what you say in today's economy, right? in the freaking supply chain. How are you dealing with that portion, Alicia? I know you're not your end buyer, right? How sometimes, sometimes we are though. Sometimes we do put in hold. So yeah, right. So for for to build the cost to build right now, uh, have you guys had to pivot to do any any different um, switch? Considering yeah. the delays with the supply chain and price to to, to build.
0: Yep. Well, we have. So and, and again, this is all about just uh having up-to-date conversations within your network. So we've got one property at the moment. Um, we're paying just over a half a million for this beautiful, beautiful huge piece of uh acreage that is in Jacksonville, Florida. It's in a an an amazing estate that the family's held it for years, no one's ever done anything with it. We're looking to subdivide it and um, and uh, and sell that to a developer, but we've had to go back and and really negotiate hard with the seller because the average house so in the subdivision right next door where where properties have been built, we're talking quarter acre lots minimum, so they're they're decent sized lots, uh, more to to half an acre lots. We're talking double story five bedroom, three bedroom sorry five bedroom, three bathroom houses, so you know square footage on on the higher end. Uh, we're talking you know properties that are selling between 4 450 to 550 um, mm. 500,000. So when we then it, it's really us looking and, and going okay well if we're going to develop that property, you no know, we know what the hold costs are. We know that 20% of that property itself needs to go to things like infrastructure, pathways, driveways, you know, public spaces, et cetera. We know that the type of house that's gonna sell in that area is at the upper end. So then when we went and ran the numbers on, you know, the square foot to build, and we 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 picked up the phone and spoke to some local developers and builders and said, you know, how's this tracking at the moment? What does this look like? When we did all the numbers, we had to go back to the seller and say, we can't give you what you think your property is worth. Mm. So it's often a case of um, constant conversations, negotiations and working with the facts. Now, I will never go back to any of our sellers or our buyers and try and, you know, d- dazzle them with uh, with what, what ifs. It's like, no, let's deal with the facts. Mm-hmm. Building prices have changed. Materials have changed. Time has been pushed out. Yeah. So if you still want to sell your property to me, we're going to have to have some negotiation elements in there, maybe some risk mitigation strategies um, so that as we're progressing and as things come to light, we can have that conversation. Without that flexibility, sometimes you just can't do a deal. You know, you you will deal with sellers that are very like, I need to close in 30 days and it needs to be this. Like, well, 12 months ago, that would have worked because 12 months ago, we were in a very different market to what we are today. Um, and so that, that whole process of, and I don't want to sound condescending here because this is not my intent, but often our role is to educate the sellers because they think their property is worth X. They think that, they, that you could, yeah. you know, you have them say, you can build on that in two months time and it's going to cost you, you know, $100 a square foot. No, no, it's not actually. <laughs> so sometimes that, that whole process of the relationship we have with them is educating them on, on what today looks like. So important, right? I mean, mm-hmm.
1: people and, and just and I talk about this so so often, and, and you know, it's especially now pe- people are living like two years ago, a year ago, yeah. and, and they have to come to like
2: reality of yep. today. Yep, exactly, exactly. The, 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 the market. There's so a delay, I feel. There's a delay. Yeah, their mentality. There really is. Or there really... They're really denial. Probably correct. Uh, Alicia, I love what you're saying. Though, as the investor,
1: right, as that as that project manager, it is our responsibility to bring the facts out and negotiate, and and yep. not negotiate because they are trying to get a deal, but negotiate a win win because it is a different market, and Correct. people can't just do deals now, uh, you know, kind of speculatively or not conservatively. It's just not working in today's. Uh, you're going to lose, and you're going to lose big yeah. time, and yep. you can't overpay. Um, I was talking to an investor the other day, and they said, "Oh, I'm gonna get a great deal. It's 20% off where they were a year ago." I'm like, "That doesn't mean it's still a good price." They're like, "What do you mean?" Yeah. I'm like, "Was it originally a good price? Because if it was overpriced then, it's still overpriced." Because yeah. you know, and, and that's how we have to think in this market. But I've glad that you are coming at it from like not an annoyance, but I'm I'm here to educate
2: within yep. it's, that's with not facts. not assumptions yep. not my feelings my thoughts offense. yeah yeah facts.
1: Facts. I, I absolutely love that. strong. it's
0: clear and it's the way you're going to get deals done today yeah. so, and even to, down to uh if i can just add two more things to it yeah. i'm constantly surprised how many property owners don't even know their own properties so we go and do they'll go oh it's vacant residential you can do x y and z with it and we'll go do the due diligence and it'll be like it's vacant residential, but only in the classifications of X, Y, and Z. And you can only build on it if these things are present and, you know, blah, 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 blah. We get all the information and go back to them. And and most of the time they're like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> so it's really interesting how much our, our, our own audience doesn't know. Secondary to that, um, so, you know, I mentioned that we've got four companies. One of them is a real estate marketing company. So for real estate investors. So I'd get to to talk all day long with real estate investors, just like you, ladies, and just like me, who work across all types of asset classes. And I'm having to have the conversation with them about what your marketing was 12 months ago is now not working. Mm-hmm. So just like when we're dealing with with um, with sellers, the the message 12 months ago is not working. We've got to change it. It's the same with how I'm, I'm going out to my my customers now because I'm saying, you know, that letter, that blind offer and that calculation that you sent 12 months ago, your, your response rate is coming down and there's a reason for that. So we've got to look at that. We've constantly got to be saying, what's the market telling me and what's the message that I need to match to that to have the right conversation at the right point in time? Uh, and it's so important. You, what What your strategy was six months ago, might not be your strategy today. So just going back to when we pivoted from houses to land, I think it's really important as entrepreneurs and investors to constantly be looking at our strategy and not just saying it's set in concrete for the year. It's like every month, review it. Where are you at? What's the market telling you? What do you need to pivot on? What do you need to adjust? Absolutely.
1: I, I see that all on the, on the multifamily space, you know, <laughs> constantly calling other apartment buildings, what's the rent at? Where, you know, rent increases, you know, th- that matters, you know, obviously. And especially yep. now in certain hot markets, rent has increased it in a way that's, is just at an at all time high. Yeah. However, So backing into all that, constantly saying, what's the heartbeat? You know, as we were talking about that. The yeah. I on, that on much the much heartbeat. Oh, I'm gonna use that. <laughs> yeah, take it, steal it. But it's so true. And yet that's what we need to be as investors astute with. That's really what we're bringing to the table, you know? And people are like, well, how do I get that? Well, that's why you're an investor. <laughs> that's that's what we're in this business to do. So if you can't yeah. figure it out, who are you looking to to get that? You know, like it, yep. and, and it doesn't have to be just you It could be a team, be a partner. But that's like that's where the money is. <laughs> That's where you knowledge, make- knowledge is power. Data is power. <laughs> Alicia, this has been great. Uh, I gotta have gotta have you on part two. We're gonna do some some more more digging. Uh, I think you give us so much to think about, and you know the sh- strategy not just for land investing but applies to so many different niches. So yeah, um, where can the ladies listening learn more about you and, and follow you along your journey?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So they can uh, go and check me out at uh, Alicia at supercharged is my email. Um, Best one, I'll I'll give you our marketing company because that's where I tend to spend most of my time these days. Uh, Then superchargedoffers.com is the website. Also, if they want to check out our land business, they can go to sell.landscouts.com. That's our acquisition site for our land business. They can give my team a call. I'm more than happy to jump on a call with anyone at, I'm going to say any time of the night or day, perhaps not 3am again, but I uh, give my team a call, which is 888-538-5478. My team's got access to my calendar. More than happy to jump on to to talk about strategy, marketing, land, anything that people want. That, that's great. All this information,
2: ladies, you can find on our show notes. Now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. The first one, Alicia, is. What book about land development would you recommend? It could be a book. It could be a podcast. What resource about land development would you recommend?
0: Oh, what's really interesting in that question, Andres, there is this, not a huge amount out there about land. Maybe should um, right? What yeah. Food? There you go. I'm thinking, I'm thinking there's a book on the horizon here, ladies. Uh, there, there's, there's a few things out there, but... Um, uh oh, oh vacant land vacant land vacant land or a podcast or a resource yeah the, okay resources there's loads of resources out there with vacant land so with vacant land um don't feel like you have to do everything yourself there's companies out there that will do comps for you that will run um analysis for you that will do due diligence for you things like that lots of different coaching groups out there as well uh, i'm gonna say Uh, One is is Ari Tipster. So there's a guy called Seth Williams who was one of the original guys in Vacant Land. He's got a fantastic YouTube channel called Ari Tipster. And he is so free. We've talked about giving before. He gives and gives and gives with so much uh, free information on how to do Vacant Land. So start there. Awesome. Second
2: question is, what is the most powerful routine that you do to live a financially free and balanced life, whatever balance means to you.
0: Routine. Uh, One thing is, you know, we can get stuck so often in just work, 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 um, and exercise is a huge part of it. So I've definitely got a routine around what time I get up in the morning. I get up at just after five, I'm online by five 30 and, you know, servicing and, and helping my us customers, um, maximizing my time during the day. But I could end up working until 6 or 7 o'clock that night because the reality is, as entrepreneurs, we can work some pretty long hours. So a must-have for me is a break in the middle of the day to either go for a walk and listen to a podcast, go to the gym, or get outside and get some fresh air. And I'm always amazed that the times that I miss that, I find, as you know, by the time I get to 2 or 3 p.m., I'm a little like, oh. A bit deflated, but when I go out and get that fresh air and that walk or that exercise or head to the gym, I'm back and I'm ready to get started. So, always making sure that you are part of your agenda for the day. Awesome. Last question
2: Which woman, famous or not, has inspired you the most?
0: Oh, actually, gonna say Brene Brown. Um, I absolutely love Brene Brown, I have followed her for many years from her very first TED talk she inspires me the most because i think what i've learned a lot from her is to embrace all of me um you know flaws and all we we all come as leaders i i, I am a leader i've got a, a quite a big team across all of our our businesses and and i come to my my leadership and my business as me not as someone that i think i should be or someone that i think they think i should be it's like authenticity vulnerability saying even to when I'm on the phone to, to customers, it's like, if I don't know the answer and I don't think I'm the expert in that, Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll say that and I'll go find out. Um, so following Brene Brown and a lot of her stuff about how we show up as women in business has been truly inspirational for me. I absolutely love her. Love that. Love that. And she, she is on our, our
1: short list. We we will have her on our podcast some way or some, some fashion, right? We we will not give up on that. She's, she's one of our (laughs) favorites. Um, Alicia, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you for sharing all your your wisdom, your nuggets, and, and your way of being. So really appreciate uh, you being here with us today.
0: Thank you so much, listen and Andres. It's my absolute pleasure. Um, I've got a big smile on my face and a cheekache mm-hmm. from just our conversation so far. So I can't wait to connect with you both and to all the listeners out there. Thank you for taking the time here to, to listen.
1: and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.